So now we really need to make games which are player centric. So which is going to make like the quality much more higher. And at the end, the better game design is going to win. Welcome to Optica Talks podcast. In each episode, we discuss hot topics of mobile app market with renowned experts. Hey everyone, welcome back to another iteration of Optica Talks podcast. And today I'm excited to host a great expert from Sunday, Vladislav Ladizhensky, Head of Growth and Umut Onel, Game Lead. Hey guys, thanks for sharing the studio with us today. How are you? Good, cool. Hi, thanks for having us. Great. So we have many topics actually to expand on from prototyping to scaling of hurry casual games. So honestly, I don't want to miss a thing. Uh, so let's start uh, with one of the main pain points currently. It's the chase after new ideas. Uh, actually, we've briefly discussed this topic with Vladislav during Games Forum, but hopefully today we have more time and we can dive into this issue in a more detailed way. So how do you manage the whole innovation uh, process within Sunday while still catering to uh, current trends? I know that it's extremely uh, difficult mentally and physically, especially nowadays in our saturated market when, uh, I guess, uh, you can't surprise uh, the audience and you can't surprise the users. They are very spoiled. Yeah, um, I can start. Like, actually, uh, what we do, do in our team is the mix of, uh, like, both generating fresh ideas and also getting approval mechanic and twisted. So for fresh ideas, um, every person on the team has their own ideation methods, uh, but um, I can talk about one of mine because I'm also um, getting with some ideas uh, all the time. So basically, like I have a question list that is going to help me to find the rules of the gameplay. So I get an object, for example, or a toy or a noun and ask questions um, like such as like what could be the action i do with this object uh, can i clean something satisfyingly or break something and like i have a verb list that i'm going over and getting the most suitable ones for this um, uh, object and then like i uh, continue questioning like how can i control this object what could be the win condition what could be the camera angle etc so when the questions finish I have two or three options in my hand and I try to select the best one. So while doing this, of course, like I need to check what are the current trends, uh, which types of games are converting, etc. Uh, but like I don't limit myself with these trends because um, why wouldn't we become the trendsetter? Um, like then we have a weekly ideation meeting where everybody can present their ideas and like our even... We collect ideas from even developers and artists. Um, actually, we have a really strong team, uh, especially experienced in the hyper-casual genre, who already worked uh, tons of couple of um, hit games. Um, so the game design skills of our developers and artists are also uh, really powerful. So what we do is, um, like, we collect these, these ideas and everybody brings their ideas and uh, we select the best ones with the whole team and uh, share them between the team members who is going to develop, uh, etc. And as the second method, as I mentioned, like we also twist uh, some proven mechanics time to time. Um, 
for using the pro mechanic um like it's easy to say uh, twist the mechanic but most of the time you're breaking the core gameplay uh, which is already proven and you have a completely different gameplay uh, different game in your hand which might fail um or you can also like merge two proven mechanics but again it's completely different gameplay at the end and on the ethical point uh, we are against directly cloning of course but i think it is okay to use uh, a proven gameplay and change it which is actually really popular and useful technique in the whole industry even in pc and console we are seeing it yeah i wanted to ask that as there are many copycats and uh, there are a lot of questions around whether you can really profit from cloning some games because actually you can save money resources if you can clone or copy some mechanic and somehow adjust that so why not <laughs> it's also a possible strategy if you perform it wisely yeah i mean the cake is too big it is huge so even getting a small piece from that cake is enough for most of the publishers actually most of the small publishers or developers maybe mm-hmm. and Ladislav you uh, do you participate in these brainstorming sessions with Umut? Um usually not at this stage so not not in this stage of which idea should we use as the next game as they have the bigger knowledge on their side like what mechanics works and um, more insights, I would say, based on the experiences. Um, when it comes to copying or cloning, the, the ethical question that you mentioned, I would say, so there is no doubt that, let's say, if you check, take the code and you copy it and you make your own game out of it, you download the images from the store and you use them on your web page, there's no doubt that it's not ethical. Like it's theft theoretically. It's, it's just mental property which you are taking and then using as your own. Like there's no doubt, but as he mentioned, like to twisting the core mechanics and making it something different, which is still similar, has definitely from the growth perspective, certain benefits, but then also certain risks. So I would say the main benefits, of course, are that you have enough inventory on the market to buy the users from. So if you're sure when you're launching the product, there's going to be enough space on the UA side to buy the users from. And in particular, you know that you're creatives and your whole game will have a higher marketability and higher performance because you will be shown on similar inventory and on the other side also the um, the benefit is that on the monetization side you can expect a high fill rate of those games so you will have enough demand basically to have high ecpms <laughs> but the threats and the risks are that high ecpms still come for free as we know so that means there is high competitiveness and the high competitiveness leading you or forcing the developers like us to either outperform on the creative level, which is already super tricky, or which is even harder to outperform on the LTV. So having the uh, better games to be able to pay more for each of the users than the competition does. Yeah, that's the vicious circle, I guess. So, um, and Dumut, you've also mentioned that you would like to be a trendsetter. So that's great, actually. But do you have this balance within Sunday uh, between the trends that are performing pretty well and the unique ideas? Yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, it's really uh, getting really hard to find a fresh, unique idea since there are so many hypercasual games uh, that have been tried in the past years. I think uh, two years ago, the number was around 2000, the released games numbers. 
And last year in 2022, the number was almost uh, 20,000. So 10 times more. So as you can see, like it became so hard to make something fresh since whenever we think about an idea, uh, it's been already made by a studio. Like, and then like we are checking the store and we are seeing the similar idea and the execution, if the execution was bad, then we can say that like, oh, okay, we can, we can do better. So we are going on top of it. But if the execution was okay, you know, the game was well done, then we don't have any choice than rather than uh, killing the idea. So uh, actually, this is the also one of the reasons that most of the publishers are going towards um, cloning and resickening. And yeah, as Vlad said, like uh, the second reason is like in the current market, it's pretty risky to make something really fresh. Uh, I mean, why wouldn't you try something already proven gameplay-wise? Uh, players already played that kind of game and they loved it. You just need to add some mechanic twists or change the team. So, um, yeah. I mean, in Sunday, we are just mostly focusing on like fresh ideas, but also we sometimes try, if we see a trend, uh, if we believe that like, it might be um, okay to twist. We are just going that direction as well. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. So imagine that we have a clear idea that is quite promising and we are moving to a prototyping stage. And correct me if I'm wrong here, speed is a pivotal factor. So you need to act and refine quite fast. I mean, different prototypes, especially in hyper-casual niche. So how do you approach this rapid prototyping uh, within Sunday? Yeah, um, so our strategy is making the IPM products first, uh, which is uh, only a video. So we just make the video, not the game itself, and test the marketability. So normally we create the basic gameplay video uh, with some marketing creative scenarios uh, and only record the videos. Like there is no game at all. There is no level systems. There is no game systems. It's just like most of the time game doesn't work even. So we just record some videos and test the marketability. And this is why it's like so much faster and cheaper than making the prototype itself, the MVP. And like after the testing marketability stage, um, like if we get the good marketability KPIs, we then focus on the development of the game, development of the MVP. And we only produce like three days of content and check the game is sticky enough. And uh, what KPIs do you consider being good? <laughs> Maybe Vlad can uh, support at that point on the IPM and CPI side. Yeah, what, what KPI? I think it's, um, it's about the genre. Like for sure, you need a certain benchmark for uh, IP, your IPM if you do marketability tests. So you could say, I, don't, I only want game. If you know that your game portfolio usually performed the past on the growth side on, I don't know, IPM of 70, then you can set a benchmark of this. Um, but it's also important to understand that some games, especially the more, mm, the, the, the games with more death in them, as one would say, um, they might have lower uh, marketability, but then show better results in the last phases of the user performance. So it's very important to on the one hand side, test as early as possible in the market and see how your audience performs, but also not too early to not mistakenly kill an unfinished great idea. 
So um, it it more allows. It's not only about the benchmarks and hitting them, but it also allows you to test complex features, which would take ages to implement into the game itself. But you can already test those features in the audience with the creators, for example, and you could see how the reaction of those users are. Um, so yeah, it's it's really hard to identify certain KPIs, but it's definitely the retention. Like at some stages, it's just the marketability, and then from there on, you move to retention and user behavior within the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because sometimes uh, I read some articles that if, for example, the churn rate of the prototype is uh, more than uh, I would say ninety percent, they consider that this idea is the worst of the worst and they don't proceed with that. But sometimes some publishers might give a second chance. So here you don't rely um, on only on the data, you allow some intuition to influence your choice or you might give a second chance, right? Uh, kind of, yeah. Uh, we also like try uh, different kind of teams in a similar gameplay mechanic. So it provides us to just, just discover uh, more options, let's say, on the marketability side. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we expand on tools and techniques for prototyping, so can you name some of them? Uh, I mean, user testing. <laughs> is the must i mean if we if we want to quickly iterate or refine the game prototypes uh, we need to do the user testing in the early stages of the development um, like in certain stages if we are not sure about a mechanic or a tutorial or a feature uh, we always go to another room in the office and let them play and gather feedback um, so uh, there are some colleagues that is not so experienced in the games so they are the best ones always and like they they uh, they tell you silently what is wrong in the game so you can just check what, what what's wrong in the game and um, yeah like also like fun fact uh, during this time uh, we were just like uh, going to the other rooms uh, all the time and uh let them play the games and then these guys uh started like playing games too much so they become actually useless for us because they 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 start playing games anymore and then they they know too much you know like so we can't just use them anymore so we need to need some we need to find some new people i guess you can use me yeah uh, i can test and <laughs> your prototypes just send over i mean we, yes. we started going like different floors now <laughs> because every, everyone in this in sunday just knows about games now so we can't find anyone um or we also tried some like external tools for playtesting. um several websites uh, provide uh, game testers for your game uh, like that they record the gameplay make a survey and like uh, but at the end again uh, mostly they are less useful for hyper casual since um, we are aiming for game uh, non-gamers but usually most of these testers are there uh, because they want to make money and they are the players like they're already hardcore players so they're not so useful for hyper casual i would say and uh, we also try some like new technologies. Uh, for example, it was interesting. Like uh, we tested Brainamics, uh, which is a playtesting company that converts brain signals into emotional feedback. And this way, they aim to increase the accuracy of playtesting sites. At least what they say. 
And we found it pretty, pretty interesting and uh, tried in our couple of games to collect feedback. Uh, but again, like in hypercasual, it's really hard to use these kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What about AI? Oh, AI? It might be also useful. For the playtest or? <laughs> yes, for prototyping, you know, for creating different iterations. Yes, maybe. yes, actually, yeah, that maybe. <laughs> no, I'm just imagining. I mean, that would be the hardcore student user of all the hardcore users because they, <laughs> I would know all the games and how every game looks, and they would just okay. Like maybe, maybe at some point the AI could pretend to be a new user and not know how a game works and then give you feedback. But I'm not familiar with any accessible free AI which would be already on this stage. <laughs> Usually it works with a lot of prompts, and as long as you don't explain exactly what it has to give you, it's tough to train. Yeah, maybe in the future we will see uh, this evolution and uh, some more tools uh, that could help us to prototype and test the games. Uh, And uh, as we've uh, already briefly mentioned the testing stage, so uh, let's talk briefly about the soft launch phase. Uh, and here, uh, so I'm pretty uh, interested uh, in your strategy uh, during the soft launch phase. What uh, countries, what networks, uh, what channels are you currently using uh, to test uh, your games, to gather uh, some metrics and to understand whether this game is ready for a global release or no? Yes, I guess I, I should be answering it. <laughs> um, I would say uh, the general strategy, as we already said, is you can start with social networks when you want really the quick early results like because it's a known fact that they just have more data about each of the users than all the other networks which makes them able to find the right audience for you within like 50 conversions and then you're already hitting the targets of the right audience i would say um but then that that's what we at least are using especially for testing which women already mentioned um when it, afterwards, uh, it really depends on the setup of each publisher. So yes, there are a lot of people that would go for like, let's say familiar grounds. So they would use the UA networks of their monetization provider. And, uh, you know, because they know that they are afterwards also getting maybe the best results out of it and it's the easiest setup for them. But in my opinion, it does not really represent the overall future marketability of this game because you ideally want, especially in hypercasual, to not have a niche product just performing on one game, but outperforming on all the networks. Um, and then it really depends on, do you have in-app purchases or not? So if you have in-app purchases, DSPs could be a good choice. Like they have great algorithm to finding this specific one user that is really interested in spending the money within your app. Um, and also they cover all the networks within a simple test setup. You will already have exposure to the majority of the biggest networks. But there are still some marginal questions and the SDCPIs that you will get out of the test, but um, could be a good choice. What we noticed is that for us, Unity is a good choice when it comes to really the simple setup, because if you have a lot of prototypes to test, especially when you publish with external studios and you have publishing managers coming up with prototypes every second day or so, then you want to have a simple setup. Then you, you might want to use Unity because it is a good representative for other SDK networks. Most of the people implement them on the monetization side, especially now since they merged with Iron Source. Um, and also, this algorithm allows you to get quick results. Um, so that's for the network. What about the yeah, 
countries, yes. Yes, yeah, about the countries, I, I like to think that this like you know, this discussion is actually older than the first game that was ever sold. Like, in which countries are we going to test it? Um, I would say so. Based on all the discussions that I'm hearing, also in the industry, like we are in a lucky position that we don't have to think about early access or burning the market, you know, or disappointing the users who already pre-signed, like in the alpha or whatever. Like, so for us, it's a simple rule of thumb. So like we can say, if we want to have clear results and we, or if we have a content heavy game, then it definitely makes sense to spend the budget, which you also need to have <laughs> if you have the budget in your core market. So you go for the English speaking, you go for US, you go for the English speaking countries, Canada, you can go for Australia. That's definitely more expensive. If you want to have statistical significance for a cheap price, for your A-B tests, where you say, I just want to observe how the user behaves in a certain version. Like this level is now harder, this level is easier. I, but I need a huge amount of installs to say this is statistically significant. Then of course, Latin countries, Asian countries, the whole market is a good choice for you to go. And that's exactly how we do it. Like really depending on which feature we are about to test, we are then deciding, okay, what are we actually looking for? Uh, so we have now a successful prototype. We've uh, passed through the soft launch phase. Now we need to put our game uh, at a global level and we need to scale it. Uh, so what steps do you take first for a global release? And then after the global, global release, what uh, is your further strategy to scale, this, uh, to scale this game? Either you will develop it and... Um, and attract more countries or more networks or some alternative channels to grow? Um, yeah, I guess it's again, I mean, you can always say it depends. <laughs> it, it, it depends. Like, if you know that your, that your game is content heavy, there is no doubt that you need localization. Like, users have to understand across the globe what your game is about and understand how to play it. In, our industry, like there are some games that just don't require that much text. Like you can roll it out worldwide with English translation in there and people will understand it because you take them by the hand in the experience of the whole game and you show them, okay, now you have to do this. Now you have to follow this. Um, so their localization won't have a big impact based on our experience. Um, then other step is of course, you want to get as many networks as possible, which you're working with as fast as possible. You want to scale smartly, basically. So you want you want to transfer knowledge from one game, to, from one network to another, from one geo to another. You want to scale, you want to find, let's say, representable networks, uh, sorry, representable countries for a whole group of countries. Let's say for LATAM, you take Brazil and you say, depending on the performance of Brazil, you, Brazilian users, that's the expectation that we are having for other LATAM countries. So you already know as a growth manager, what can I be bidding for? What is the target? What is my ROAS goal for those countries? So you're not blindly starting a country and hoping for the best to not overspend. Um, and then the other thing is uh, you need to keep track and have a proper roadmap because especially if you're talking about worldwide, there are a lot of countries. <laughs> you might miss some of them. Um, and the same for networks, you always want to up test new networks because you might have a hidden champion. You might have a network which outstandingly performs for your game, I would say. So those are the most important ones. And 
I don't know, maybe I, when it comes to alternative channels for hyper-casual, it's really tricky because most of the alternative channels are kind of looking for, you know, the high ECPMs or high CPIs, like it's say influencer marketing or so. They are a bit spoiled with some of the, let's say, social casino games, but they would be willing to pay versus what the hyper-casual marketer would be able to pay for them. No, just omni-channel strategy is quite popular and many developers are trying to use it as well, uh, like social, uh, just creating social communities to boost retention uh, and just to keep the interest um, for your games. So that's why I was asking maybe at Sunday uh, you would like to try something similar just to... Uh, remain the uh, retention level but yeah maybe for this niche it's not that relevant yeah. uh, as i understand i mean it doesn't yeah it, it doesn't work to create a community like because like they're gonna play for seven days 14 days uh, most of the hyper casual games just die after let's say 30 days but um yeah it doesn't work it i guess but how then to remain uh, the high level of uh, retention while scaling the game? I mean, we try to... How to sustain yeah, it? Yeah, we, we, we try to, uh, while scaling, we try to also do live ops. Uh, so we keep actually improving the game. Uh, so it might be like um, optimizing the level churn, you know, adding some more rewarded add options and like... Uh, just optimizing maybe intellectual frequency you know like we, we are just we are just keeping um improving the game while scaling so it tries to uh, uh, push the retention and play time a bit uh, high but yeah uh, no communities i i think i think it's also from the growth perspective like you cannot expect to have immediately the same retention on scale that you had in the testing phase just because it's simpler for the networks to find you the right audience when it's on a smaller scale than when you suddenly grow it by 100 times. Um, but then you start actually in optimizations on the network, depending on what you said. Like if you're on social networks, there are certain features that you can use to optimize and find the right audience. If you are on uh, SDK networks, you go for source level optimization or you start using the campaign systems that they are providing you nowadays to like pinpoint the right user, like this automatized campaigns uh, to find you the best retaining user or the, the users who try to play the game for the longest time. Um, but yes, for hypercache, like it, it's, 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 it's nice to have, it would be nice to have communities. Of course, if you have long-term retention after day 30, I definitely agree. Then, then you can build communities. You can uh, use also this hype mind, mind, hype mind, like this community mindset and to test certain features, but yeah, for that you need this depth of the game. But I think I think we are gonna see these communities in the next generation hyper casual. That's what we call it. <laughs> uh, maybe you can call it like hybrid casuals. Uh, but uh, in this next generation hyper casuals, I think communities might create even themselves, like on Reddit or something. You know, um, I think it's going there. 
Now, Mut, you've just brought uh, the question uh, I wanted to ask uh, at the very end about this shift uh, that everyone, I guess, is talking about, this shift from hyper-casual to hybrid-casual. So uh, from your perspective as a a hyper-casual publisher, do you think that this shift is inevitable? Because it seems that many developers are under this impression that the hyper-casual games are dying. Is it true or do we have a chance? I mean, uh, we are seeing the same experience. Uh, so it looks like it, yes. Like the old formula doesn't work anymore. Uh, but at the end, what I believe is like the game, the games need to be good as always. So no more like, yes, oh, we found Tencent CPI. So let's make an app, even not a game, which is going to show like five ads and we earn some money already. So now we really need to make games which are player centric. So which is going to make like the quality much more higher. And at the end, the better game design is going to win. Yeah, that's the nice point. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to have something. Wait, I have something to add to this because I also think that it's all about the wording. I, I think that the hybrid casual is now hybrid casual, but it's the hyper casual of tomorrow because when I joined this company, our MD Chris had a really nice metaphor. He said, we are here doing hyper-casual games back then. And then he said, it's just like the popcorn. The popcorn that you eat, it's a, it's an easy snack, but it's not a full meal like a, a AAA title. And it, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Because if you go to a cinema, like popcorn cannot become a spaghetti carbonara. But you also, if you're sitting in a cinema, you don't want to eat a spaghetti. <laughs> you want to eat popcorn. And but previously, you were getting maybe the simplest, worst tasting popcorn ever, but it was the only option, so you were snacking it. And now you're suddenly getting all this caramelized, salted, you have different variations, and now you want the user wants like the better version of it, but they still want to want the popcorn, and you still can differentiate even in five years. That's popcorn. And it's spaghetti. Like, it's not going to mix together. Nice metaphor. (laughs) Yeah, he loves the metaphors, I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah, I can see that. Um, So currently, how many games are you uh, testing? So what to expect from Sunday? Oh, a lot. Uh, I mean, in Hamburg's internal team, uh, we are currently working on like four games right now. Uh, I mean, they are just prototypes, so... uh, but on the publishing side also, like we have several games, but we are uh, focusing on more deeper gameplays. As I said, like the old type of casual uh, formula doesn't work anymore. So we need to focus on deeper gameplays, more player centric uh, games, uh, which uh, like is going to be better game design at the end okay so i will be waiting then for these games to test just sent over yes i will be your tester free (laughs) of charge uh that's a great advantage i guess okay so i guess that's it Uh, we've had an insightful uh dialogue with a lot of takeaways for me personally and for our listeners i hope so thanks guys for shedding light on hyper casual world and please follow the blog section of Sunday to find out more case studies and more insights and Aptica blog for not missing the next episode. So thank you guys one more time for being with us today. Thanks, Ksenia. 
To find out more about Aptica and its products, please visit the website aptica.com. Do not miss the next episodes by following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or any other major platforms. We would appreciate your feedback to make our podcast even more insightful for the industry. Thank you for listening.